Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of the Blue Oval Podcast presented by The Stride Report. With me, as always, Garrett Zatlin. How's it going, man? It's a new year. It's the same us. I'm going to say it's a new me, but in reality, I know it's not going to be a new me. It's going to be the same me. Hey, maybe some new fresh takes. Maybe we we got some new fantasy teams. Even if we're not uh, new, we at least got some new content coming out too. Very true. And speaking of new, uh, we have a new podcast on the Stride Report Podcast Network. Nice transition. Uh, yeah, I, that one worked really well. So if you guys haven't checked it out, Props and Hops, hosted by John Cusick and si- Sam Ivanecki, great new podcast. Um, they just put one out a few days ago to recap the fantasy draft that we did on the site. If you guys haven't checked out the draft, uh, look that up and then listen to uh, Sam and John break down each pick, including a few scorchers um, in terms of what they thought about me and Garrett's picks. They really um, don't like me. No, yeah, they, they there seemed to be a vendetta against you. I'm, I'm not sure uh, when that started, but uh, Sam definitely definitely has it out for Sixers fans. After, yeah, he does. I guess MB just destroyed town. You know what? Uh, now- they're, they're Minnesota fans and they're uh, Phoenix Suns fans. So like, you know, life is miserable as it is. They need to have to go for <laughs> someone, you know, so. <laughs> I guess so. Um, but it's good to be back at the Blue Oval podcast. It's been about six weeks since we talked to you guys last. Um, as always, we appreciate any ratings and reviews were up to 29 five-star ratings um and we had a review that came out right after our last uh podcast recording titled awesome exclamation mark i love the love that i can listen to this every morning on the way to work running be my jam man so we really appreciate that i think uh, the commute podcast is the highest praise and the highest honor a podcast can receive. That's a pretty big deal. So we're very grateful. Yeah, that's a pretty yes, big deal. Absolutely. So I know I listen to all my podcasts at work, but wait, if you can if you can infiltrate my car, it's pretty special. Just saying. So thank thank you for the review. Absolutely, um, but Garrett. So we haven't talked for a while. We have not, um, and it feels like we haven't talked for a while because. A lot has gone on. Oh, yes. We have a lot. We have some indoor meets that just happened. But really, the hottest thing that happened over the break was all the transfer news, which we were breaking um, all winter long. Um, Some real surprises. But Garrett, why don't we start um, with listing off a few of the names that have switched places in the last few months? Sure, let's do that. And a quick disclaimer, for whatever reason, as far as our connections and sources go, this is going to be very uh, male-heavy in terms of the uh, the transfers there. There's only one uh, female transfer that we have to report. There's also another female transfer that is still pending that we uh, know of but are not yet able to report yeah so just keep that in mind for whatever reason it looks like a lot of the women were transferring uh this past summer but the list goes on we've got john mcgowan uh transferring from fordham after one semester there uh to syracuse john was a 1444 5k runner and new balance all-american back in high school we got theo kaler a uh, very solid 5k talent transferring from withrop to wake forest for his graduate work over there he'll be a nice piece for the deacons over in Wake Forest. We've got Alex Scales. He's going to be heading from Colorado to Santa Clara. 
Jacob Clems, a four-time D2 All-American, very solid distance talent, heading from Washburn to Portland. And Colin DeYoung, 2018 NAIA XC champion and a, a nice stud talent of his own in the distance events. He's going from Cornerstone to Grand Valley State, the D2 powerhouse. That's going to make them incredibly strong. Miles Owens, the 149-800 meter runner and national qualifier, is going from William & Mary to Oregon. And we've got, how about this, Ruby Stauber. Ben, she's back. She originally was at LSU. Then she went to Oregon. And now, after a significant hiatus, she is now at Vanderbilt. So um, interesting to see her back. Good to see her back. She's at least listed on the roster. Unsure uh, when or if we will see her this season. And Dustin Nading, the D2 2018 uh, NCAA mile champion, he is going from Western Oregon to Washington. He's actually listed as unattached in the UW previews, uh, excuse me, UW preview for this upcoming Saturday. And then the two big ones here, we've got Amon Kemboy. He's going from Campbell to Arkansas. And then Emmanuel Chabosin, Louisville to Iowa State, sort of. And then ultimately ending up in Arkansas. Ben, that is the list of transfers that we have from the winter break. That is a mouthful. I I can't believe how many uh, people changed places. And as you uh, finished with those two top names, I mean, and and really a few, a few, a few of those names could really uh, change the national title race we see at the D1 and D2 level. Um kind of we're already kind of thinking about cross country for next year because we're seeing all these teams um bolster their rosters through these transfers yeah i mean this is this is pretty significant obviously kemboy being that biggest one um but the the reason that the kemboy transfer is such a big deal is only because chibosa now comes with him and, and we'll we'll touch on that a little bit later but you know i think we should really start with this kemboy to arkansas deal and we don't fully know if he's going to be running this indoor season yet, and we're sure he's going to be super competitive come outdoors. But the impact uh, of what he has during the cross-country season, um, it's, it's pretty significant. And really, the significance and the value that he was going to add wherever he was going uh, would have been you know, pretty impactful. Uh, just a reminder, he was looking at Iowa State, Alabama, Oklahoma State, and uh, Arkansas, of course, as well. Those were the main candidates. Uh, ben, is that Arkansas? Is that where you saw him going? So I, I had heard some chatter that there that there was a Campbell Kenyon who was looking at Arkansas pretty early on. So I wasn't shocked to see him join the Razorbacks. They have great success with uh, Kenyon runners and foreign runners in general there and i think this is an arkansas team that is looking obviously with the chibosin uh transfer as well i think they're looking to take a big step forward this coming year they have um some more recruits i think that are going to be coming um soon and they got their their eyes on a few other big targets so i think this is a team that could go from the bottom half uh, bottom third really of the NCAA cross country picture to the front, like five, even. Um, I really do think this is a team that could take a huge step forward. And when you put it in that perspective, I think it makes sense that Kemboy would go there. 
Um, but still to turn down top teams like Iowa State, Iowa State, you plug him in for Kurgot. I know you're losing to Haven, but you still have a solid uh, roster behind him. David Tu's kind of going into his second year of cross country. You have some good young Americans in there as well. I got to imagine that was hard to turn down and the other places that you listed as well, all very good schools. So at the end of the day, I'm not shocked to see him go to Arkansas, but I do think it is a huge, huge asset for our, the Razorbacks to get him. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I I don't think this is necessarily a shocking development that we've seen here, but I, I do think it is interesting. And I agree, the big thing that we're missing here is that Iowa State, the next, the next most impactful uh, school that he could have gone to was Iowa State. I mean, like you said, plugging in for the loss of Adam Kurgott and then having a really solid uh, developing crew behind him, whether it be Chad Johnson, Milo Greeter, Mitchell Day, um, a handful of others, Tim Sint, uh, a, a young, talented uh, youngster in that program. Thomas that Pollard. Made, Thomas Pollard. I don't know because I did see that he's graduated, so oh, I don't he? know. Yeah, I don't know if he's coming back for his grad uh, grad work. Unsure on that one. I'm I'm under the impression that he's not. But uh, Matt Mankey, uh, you know, another one. There's a lot of really solid talent that that Greeter Johnson Day kind of a grouping right there. And unfortunately one other I'm probably missing and I do apologize if I am, but you know, that's a really solid group, but they don't have that firepower. They don't have that low stick that they can guarantee and say, they're going to lead us at the NCAA meet with a top 10, 20 finish. And Amon Kenboy would have been a just beautiful replacement for Kurgot right there. So um, a tough loss for them. And even tougher loss later down the line, which we'll uh, explain later with the Emmanuel Trebosin transfer. But, you know, the Amon Kemboy pick is now really strong because Arkansas, 30th at NCAAs, we knew that they were going to be good enough to get to the NCAA championships last year. But now you add in Gilbert Boyd. Now you add in Amon Kemboy. Now you add in, and we'll get to this again later, Trebosin. You've got a really potent top three, all of which could be all Americans. And you begin to add in new recruits and other guys, and you know maybe Matt Young is going to be more than just a really solid number three, number four, number five option. Maybe he's going to become a low stack. There were a lot of really solid uh, talents and some pretty decent depth uh, within that program as well. So it's really hard to dislike Arkansas right now. I think there's a lot of questions, and we can touch on that a little bit later, but. You know the 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 leap that uh, sorry not Chaposin, that Kemboy brings them is pretty significant. Yeah, and they got uh, Rory Leonard coming in next year. He was planning on coming this year. Um, he's an English kid uh, with PRs of three forty eight, eight eighteen, and fourteen sixteen. Um, and him coming in next year to kind of solidify that back end of the roster, just another name to think about. And like I said, I don't think they're done. Um, I think they probably got one or two more um, stars or stud recruits coming their way. And I think this will be completely revamped roster uh, in 2020. Yeah, it's going to be really exciting. And you make a great point about Roy Leonard. He's going to be that X factor. He could be that X factor that completely changes the way that we view Arkansas more so than we already view them differently already. So it'll be really interesting there. Absolutely. So do we want to move on to the Chabosin saga? We do. Ben, I think you have a little more context on this than I do. But nonetheless, can you break down exactly what happened here? 
So as it was explained to me, uh, Emmanuel Chavosin had got had was transferring from Louisville to Iowa State. He went to Ames, Iowa. He signed uh, a financial aid letter, but he never signed a national letter of intent. So because he never did sign the NLI, he was not completely um, confirmed or committed to Iowa State. He gets to Ames, Iowa. He doesn't really like Ames, Iowa. For whatever reason, he wasn't wasn't a fan of whether it was the campus, the location. Well, I'm not sure what it was, but he didn't love it at Iowa State when he finally did arrive. So he kind of started looking around for his options elsewhere. Interestingly enough, it seemed like Arkansas had been interested in him um, and he got a call uh, from Arkansas to see if he wanted to come once he kind of opened up his commitment um, once again. And he headed down to Arkansas, um, apparently liked it more than he did. Um, he liked Fayetteville a little bit more than Ames and ended up signing and moving in um, like very quickly. It sounded like the whole thing just happened extremely extremely fast uh, one moment you have Iowa State um, talking about it on their social media and then the next moment I'm looking at a picture of him uh, with a suitcase in Fayetteville so I can't really I don't really understand what was going on in his head but uh, it was a very strange situation I know Iowa State has to feel crushed that they're not getting um, someone of his talent, but again, this goes back to what we were talking about before. Arkansas just picks up another big stud. They do, and and they've been known to do this before. You know, Gilbert Boyd, originally from Tennessee Tech, I believe. So this yes. isn't the first time they've brought over you know a big name transfer from maybe a somewhat lesser power in terms of the, the sizing of the school here. But I mean, this Ben, this is this. This just does not look like a great look for Iowa State. No matter how you know how you cut it, you know the, the missing out on the Ken Boy. Well, sure, that's tough, and you know there's only so much you can do about that. But then missing out on Chabosin here. Um, now Iowa State, let's put this in perspective. Still going to be very competitive. I would be shocked if they don't find someone else later this summer. Um, there's just way too many options, and I'm sure they're going to have plenty of money to go around with now Kerr got gone, DeHaven gone, two gone, potentially Pollard also gone. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of, of who else might even be in that mix. You know, potentially Festus Legat if his eligibility is still considered to be up at that point. So I imagine that they'll find some pieces to bring in, or at least, you know, one more. But not, you know, if you were looking to at least rebuild portions of that roster uh, this was a, a pretty, you know, tough way to do it. But gosh, Arkansas now, you've got Emmanuel Chabosin. And for those who are unfamiliar with him, the Louisville ace, who was pretty strong um, in, in cross country, at least back in 2018. Um, he's got some pretty solid marks. I believe he was ninth in the white race at pre-nats, maybe eighth. I'd have to go back and look at that. But a really solid Southeast talent went on to run 28.42 for the 10K now, admittedly, he's a bit inconsistent. Um, he's not always on top. He's, he's, you know, we'll have days where he's either really hit or miss. So that is something to, to keep in mind with, you know, like Gilbert Boyd, uh, excuse me, Gilbert Boyd, we know he's also had some inconsistencies on the national stage as well. You know, again, Arkansas has, you know, 
I guess some, I don't want to say inexperience, but a lot of question marks at the back end of that lineup. So Arkansas, really going to be phenomenal. I think Trebosin really completes a, a pretty solid lineup. But just in terms of running well on the same day and the consistencies, it probably is important to keep that in mind despite the Kimboy and despite the Trebosin transfer, uh, transfers that, that were coming into the program here. But nonetheless, incredible job by Arkansas taking the most of the opportunity. Yeah, I mean, Chabosin's a young runner. I think we're, I mean, he is obviously a stud and he has flashed his talent, but I think it is worth noting that um, his first season was in 2018. Um, and I think he's still learning how to race in some of these big meets. And um, I think what we're going to see as he's around the, the higher level of competition at Arkansas training with better guys. I think you kind of saw that with Boyt. Boyt was an excellent runner at Tennessee Tech. He kicked my butt many times over um, <laughs> in the OVC championships. Um, I It's 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 wild looking back on the OVC championships where it was Edwin Kurgot and uh, uh, Gilbert Boyt duking it out. One of the most random things in the world where you see two of those guys um, in a small conference like the OVC, but I digress. Um, the the Chebosin, I think moving to Arkansas is going to really help him because he's going to be pushed. Um, Louisville was obviously is a fine school, um, and I was honestly very surprised to see him leave because a lot of times you see these guys leave um, smaller non Power Five programs. Louisville, have ever been to their track? Ever been to their facilities? It's beautiful. Like you, there's not much more you could ask for. Um, and it just seemed like he was ready to be around guys who were going to be able to push him in training and stuff. And that's obviously understandable. Um, but ben, I real think, quick, yeah. in terms of where, in terms of who you're more surprised about, who are you more surprised about Chabosin leaving or Iman Kemboy leaving? Mm, that's a good question. Because Kemboy, I mean, he has, he has someone to run with. Um, right. and Campbell's obviously has a rich history of turning out uh, studs. I, I think I'm going to go with Kemboy. I mean, I'm surprised by Chabosin, but yeah, I, I, I did not see the Kemboy transfer transfer coming at all. Right. Yeah. And the, and the, the coaches that I've spoken to, you know, they were all saying, gosh, it's a shame. Coach Kelly has done such a phenomenal job there. Um, but you know, heck we also want to be as part of the picture. And I, I spoke to multiple coaches on that end, but in terms of in terms of, you know, seeing where their development was, I mean, it's rare that you see a 744 3K runner look at their situation and say, ah, this isn't working out for me. More importantly, three years in yeah. to that to that portion. So, you know, it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm like, wow, that really took me by surprise. There was so much success happening. The team was beginning to develop in the right direction. Athanas Kyoko coming into the program, becoming a low stick. Uh, Godwin Kamutai really showing a lot of promise uh, there as well. They're you know they were really one piece away from becoming a nationally competitive squad in 2020, but doesn't look like that's going to be happening now uh, with him gone. But um, Trubosin doesn't surprise me as much. Um, I, I saw the inconsistencies. There was not much of a team to run with. The facilities are great. I, I don't doubt that, but. Um, I, I'm sure there was probably, you know, the need to further refine talent. And I think this was a great decision by him. Um, and as you mentioned before, you know, Arkansas, phenomenal uh, program in terms of developing and refining, not just the, the overall fitness, but specifically the race tactics of, of certain athletes. Um, and, and, you know, Gilbert Boyd's one of them, but 
go back to guys like Stanley Kevin I and and you know Kamoy Campbell, um, some really strong superstar studs that they developed over a couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. Coach Bugnum's done a great great job while he's been at Arkansas. But I I mean just to go back to the surprise, like I I would have I I would have guessed that Kyoko would have been the one to leave rather than Kemboy, just because he had only been there for a year. He wasn't like an established star like Kemboy. For an established star to to leave um, is is probably when we're talking about one of the biggest like free agency signings. I mean, this has to be up there in terms of best talent to leave um, his school after three years. Yeah, and I, I don't truly don't know if there's really ever been anyone at that level that's really not a grad transfer, right? Yeah. I mean, we can talk about Eric Jenkins going from Northeastern to, you know, Oregon or from Angles. You know, I think he was going from NC State to Ole Miss. Mm -hmm. But those guys weren't at the peak of their powers then. They weren't at such this uncanny level of excellence, right? It, it To see Kemboy already there, it, it's surprising. You know, it just doesn't happen. But you know what? I, I can tell you this. He is sure going to make some a lot of people uh, in Arkansas very, very happy that he's on that team. Yep, they will be certainly one team to watch uh, coming into the fall of 2020. And it'll be interesting to see how he does on the track, whether he races indoor or if he redshirts. Wouldn't be surprised to see him outdoors at the very least. But, I mean... Arkansas, a team to watch. Kemboy, a team or a individual to watch as we move forward in this track season. But why don't we talk about some of these other transfers, Garrett? Um, we mentioned Dustin Nading to Washington. Uh, going from the D2 level to the D1, how do you see him handling uh, the D1 track circuit this year? You know, I, it's going to be interesting. We found out that he's actually running unattached at the UW preview this Saturday. So the the understanding, or at least the thought process behind this, is that he will be redshirting the winter season. That's just our thought process. Um, but it's going to be interesting. I, I think this is, you know, if there's any, I think it's an appropriate fit for him. You know, my thought process is that he's already maximized his potential and his talent at Western Oregon. He's won the national title. He, you know, really developed some pretty significant times that put him, I don't want to say significantly above his competition, but at least put him in, into the top tier of that competition. Um, he knows he can go to Washington, which has a phenomenal, uh, you know, reputation for developing sub four minute milers. Um, and not only that, but I think, I think his tactics and his ability to execute races is extremely um, underrated. And I, so I just overall, I think this is a really great fit. Um, interesting to see him redshirting or at least running unattached this winter. I don't know what that means in terms of medical redshirts. I don't know if that means he's coming back next year or if he'll even have eligibility next year, next winter. But this could be really interesting. I, I think this is a really appropriate fit. He's a miler at heart, a great race tactician. He's not going far from Western Oregon. Um, I think this was a really appropriate fit, a really good fit. And uh, I'm really happy to see him now with the Huskies. Uh, I'm sure Western Oregon probably wanted to keep him, but um, this was a really nice fit for uh, Washington. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard to um, come up with a list of coaches who would be better suited uh, to take in a top miler than Andy Powell. Um, the success that he has had uh, developing some middle distance stars is is pretty 
pretty uh, a pretty good proven track record. Um, and I think what we're gonna see with with Dustin is we're gonna see how thin the line is from D one and D two when when we're talking about some of these top D two athletes. Um, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him, like you said, because of his tactical prowess, to really compete in a lot of these races. Maybe he doesn't have the top PRs of some of the best milers in the country. But as Justin Kiprotich uh, showed last outdoor season, the 1500, you don't necessarily need to have a sub 340 uh, 1500 time to be one of the best miler 1500 runners in the country. You just That's have to be point. good enough and to put yourself in that situation. And then from there on, it's the tactics. So after developing and pri- he's pricing almost every kind of race during his time uh, with Western Oregon. And I think that's really going to benefit him as he moves to the D1 level. Um, he's run in probably a lot of tactical races where it was slow. And I'm sure there's been a few um, where he's stepped up in competition and where it's been uh, balls to the walls from the gun. So I, I, it, I do feel really good about his chances just because of uh, his ability to run tactically solid races. Agreed. Yeah, I think that was incredibly well put. And I love the example there with Justin Kiprotich. Didn't have a sub-340 guy. You know, he wasn't a sub-340 guy in the 1500 meters, but he was so phenomenal on the championship stage, knew when to make his moves, knew when to sit and kick, knew when to put in a surge. I mean, and I'm not, I don't know if nading is quite necessarily at that level of master tech tacticianary. I don't even know the word that I'm looking for there, but you know, I think in terms of, of what he could be, I think a Justin Kiprochich is probably a pretty fair and solid and, and quite frankly, a very flattering comparison, um, you know, compared to, to a few other options, but yeah, I think it's a good fit. Um, we'll see how it goes. I'll also be interested to see how he, you know, drops down and goes up in distance, specifically the 3,000 meters. He has an 810 PR, so he's pretty solid in the 3K as well. Who knows, maybe he, he can also uh, break that eight-minute barrier, but it'll be interesting. Um, happy to see him there. Um, but yeah, that's all, that's all I got on him. All right, well, why don't we move on to a few other names that we listed. Um, how about uh, Jacob Clems from Washburn? Um, what kind of impact do you see him having um, as he heads to Portland? Yeah, I think people are really underestimating uh, the pickup for Portland here with Jacob Clems. He's a really solid distance talent. Four-time D2 All-American with PRs of 409 in the mile, 817 in the 3K, 1411 for the 5K, and 29.36 for the 10K. This is a guy who gets better as the uh, as the distance gets longer. And for Portland, this is massive because they're losing a lot of veteran front runners from their lineup last year. They're losing Caleb Webb. They're losing uh, Rudolph Lavise. They're losing Terrence Solano. And they're also losing uh, Joe Horan as well. He was part of their national lineup as well. That's a lot of firepower. That's a lot of veteran consistency. Um, I don't know if they're necessarily going to be able to make all of that up in one year, in one summer. And... But at the very least, Clems is a nice start forward for that. Um, I think he's going to be a really solid, stable, consistent scorer at the very least. I think knowing Rob Connor by the time cross-country season rolls around next spring, that Clems is a guy who can eventually be you know, a sub-14 5K guy, potentially someone on the verge of, of maybe scaring for an All-American honor. So um, I, I like the pickup a lot. I think it's super underrated. 
Um, and I think this is probably another appropriate decision by Clems going from the D2 rank uh, ranks, excuse me, up to uh, Portland. And I just, I just, I just, based on his resume, I think it was a, a really solid fit and I uh, got to commend Rob Connor on that uh, pickup. It was a really solid pickup. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really know much about Clems um, until I looked at his T first and came away very impressed. Um, Portland, like you said, has sustained uh, some heavy losses in the last two years. You, you think about uh, the team that they had in 2018, versus the team that they're going to be having in 2020. I mean, I don't I don't even know if they have anybody um, who remains from that uh, team that finished uh, third, I think it was, um, at NCAAs. So, yeah, big pickup for them. Um, looking at another runner who is transferring, um, let's look at Miles Owens, who's headed to Oregon. He's kind of an 800 ace um, who could really help them out in the DMR. They're kind of looking for that 800 runner. Do you think he'll be able to uh, impact their DMR chances this winter, Garrett? I think at the very least, he offers an option. Um, I don't know how much of a true impact he would have on you know, a DMR or something like that. But I think he gives them options, right? Because historically they've had to rely on mile guys dropping down into that 800 meter distance and really sustaining that portion of their lineup. But now you bring in Miles Owens and you also have Luis Peralta, a 149 uh, recruit from, you know, who's a true freshman this year. Um, now you start to have options at that middle distance section. And this is where the Ben Thomas coaching switch from Virginia Tech a couple years ago this is where we're starting to see how important that 800 spot is because he's a master at developing the 800 meters. We saw what he did at Virginia Tech with Pat Joseph and Vincent Ciotti and Neil Gorley and Drew Piazza. Like the list goes on. I mean, it's pretty significant. I mean, he was, you know, instrumental in, in helping uh, Bashir Masafalo get to his point, um, you know, a few others. But this, this is more so bringing in a guy who can give them a ver- really solid 800 leg. Um, who can flirt around the 150 mark, 149, and he can at least give them someone saying, all right, hey, Reed Brown, Charlie Hunter, James West, you know, Jackson Messler, whoever it may be, you guys don't have to run the 800-meter leg, right? Focus on the mile leg, the 1,200 leg. Go focus on the open mile event, the 3Ks, the 5Ks, whatever it may be. We've got a guy who is going to be valuable in terms of helping us you know, sustain our position up front at the national championships. And I think that's quite frankly all they needed. You know, they don't need this guy to come in and drop 146s, 147s. He just needs to be good enough to get them to the through to the next leg. And I think he's really appropriate for that. You know, he's a 149 PR and he's gone to the national championships before. Still kind of a step, you know, step uh, away from really kind of hitting that next tier. But uh, I really saw a pickup and I think something that I think Oregon needed more than anything. Yeah, you bring up the Ben Thomas factor, and I think that's a, a good name to talk about because, I mean, Virginia Tech's DMR, by the time he was uh, his last few years at Virginia Tech, they were dominant. Like, I, I remember racing against them, and they were they just could blow the doors off you with their middle-distance talent. So to see him go there uh, to Oregon and run under Thomas, I think um, that's kind of an underrated aspect of this all because he could explode and i mean like you said they don't need him to run 146 147 but i mean maybe by the end of the outdoor season maybe he's knocking knocking uh down the door to those times uh in a few months 
Yeah, and I think it's very possible. You know, we, we've seen it happen with previous Ben Thomas talents, and, you know, he's now finally getting guys that were, you know, you know don't get me wrong, Pat Joseph was great, you know, when in his younger days, in, excuse me, younger days. Vincent Ciotti was great. Neil Gorley was great. You know, all those guys were great, but, you know, now he's having guys come into his program that are truly already at that level. And, you know, we can talk about Drew Piazza, transferred from New Hampshire as well. But there is something to be said about, having multiple options on a far more consistent basis um, than what he was maybe getting at Virginia Tech. And that's not a bash on Virginia Tech. They are a phenomenal, uh, you know, middle distance program specifically. Um, But, you know, just in terms of now having, you know, now being able to bring in guys originally like Josh Hoey and Brody Hasty who are no longer there, Um, you know, and Miles Owens now and Luis Peralta and Cole Hawker, you're beginning to see, you know, this actual, you know, young superstar talent come up from high school on a more consistent basis and kind of giving him those options moving forward. And this transfer, I think, is another example of that um, in terms of how he's going to be able to develop that talent and have that talent at his disposal. So, um, you know, it's all, all, I think it's all good for for now on. Um, Yeah. I think Owens is a good pickup, but we'll just, we'll just kind of have to wait and see to see what he does uh, in Oregon. Absolutely. So let's look at another transfer. Colin DeYoung moving from the NAIA ranks to D2 from Cornerstone to Grand Valley State. Um, Interesting pickup for Grand Valley State. Um, I think this is like we mentioned off the top. This could really help their chances um, in the title race next year. What do you see Colin DeYoung doing in the I guess this year uh, on the track, if he has eligibility, um, but also on the cross course. Well, the cross country course is really where this is going to make a pretty significant difference because if you take a look at Grand Valley State, they had three guys who were all Americans last year and all, sorry, this this past fall, and all three were sophomores. Tanner Chata, who finished 24th, and actually that's an underperformance for him. He could have been a top 10 guy. Um, Noah Steffen, really nice race for him. He was 27th. Ben Zaremba, uh, 34th place overall. And then freshman, Andrew Halen, he was 51st at Nationals, right? You've got another sophomore, Jesse Be- uh, Becker, he was 76. You're really only losing your fifth man as a senior, um, it really in this whole lineup. And now you're bringing in a guy who is an absolute stud in the longer distances. He was the uh, 2018 NEIA XC champion. Um, he has a 14-13, 5K PR, a 906 steeple. I mean, you're at it. You're looking at another guy who could be, you know, running next to Tanner Chata throughout all of 2020 in, in the fall, you know, and this is a guy who's really going to make a significant impact. And now all of a sudden, you know, maybe if Grand Valley State has a better day at nationals, you're looking at maybe, maybe them competing for the national title. And that's a pretty significant thing to say and a pretty significant jump. So, you know, I, I, I'm not ready to, you know, say, oh, Grand Valley State's the favorite or anything like that, but gosh, it certainly puts them up there. It makes them pretty competitive. Um, you know, it, we'll, we'll have to see what happens. So, uh, you know, cause I, I know, I know that he, when, uh, I know when, when DeYoung was running at Cornerstone, I believe he only had junior eligibility, um, when he was running there, but you know, the results that I was looking at didn't say so. Uh, regardless, uh, really solid talent, and uh, he'll help them out uh, on a you know pretty significant basis. Yeah, I mean the the PRs that you listed are impressive, especially when you're considering he's 
running in the NAI ranks, probably not getting a lot of um, competition um, that often. And to go to Grand Valley State, where, like you said, he's going to have great training partners uh, to run with. Tanner Trout is a great example. Um, I think we could see him go up another level. And uh, if he does, I, I think you're right to say that Grand Valley State, while maybe not the favorite, definitely has to be one of those teams that we're looking at as uh, national title contenders. Absolutely. So last but certainly not least, let's look at Ruby Stauber headed from uh, LSU to Oregon to finally at Vanderbilt. Um, the star in the 800 was fifth indoors in in the 800 in 2017, but we really haven't seen much of her since. Uh, Garrett, what do you uh, what do you think about this transfer? Uh, you know, I, I think it's just at the very least, you know, we can try to talk about what we could see from her and, and this and that. At the very least, she's back. Um, don't know why she transferred from LSU to Oregon. Don't know why she took such a significant hiatus from Oregon. Or I, I don't even think she ran while she was there. Um, and, and now seeing her at Vanderbilt, that's pretty significant nonetheless, though. You're looking at someone who regardless of how long it takes her to kind of really get facilitated, she's back, she's on the track, you know, if she's able to refine and develop her talent back to the level, or at least somewhat to the level that it once was, she's going to be pretty competitive. You know, at the very least, she can maybe be, uh, you know, a, a national qualifier in the 800 meters. And that's saying something considering that, you know, the 800 meters is probably deeper than it was a couple years ago, depending on who you ask. Um, you know, I, I think it's just a really solid, uh, just a, a really exciting thing to see in general. Uh, I, I don't know how much of an immediate impact she's going to have, but if she's able to develop and at least you know come back with additional eligibility and and further refine and get back to that level of fitness that she was once at, she she's maybe back on that national stage and who knows, uh, maybe comeback story of you know the past few years and maybe she gets back on the podium. So who knows. Yeah, I, I think Vanderbilt's a good place to do it. They they have a, a history of some solid 800-meter runners, and I know they have a few solid runners there at the moment. Um, so it would be great to see her come back um, and re-enter the national stage um, because she certainly has the talent to do so. Um, so I think it is exciting to see another uh, very talented runner back in the NCAA. Um, but Garrett, well, we've talked about some star transfers but there was also some big pickups for some nationally ranked teams um, on the recruiting scene uh, since we last talked two of the best maybe high school runners that we've ever seen um, in the men and women committed uh, Caitlin Tui to NC State and Nico Young to NAU um, these these are talent. These are individuals that can change um, programs. With NC State and NEU being as good as they are, they're going to take them. I think help push them to another level. Um, when we're talking about Tui, though, were you surprised that she didn't turn pro? Um, the dominance which she showed on the high school scene, and then when she finished second at club uh, cross country a few weeks after NXN. I really thought that there was a good chance she was going to turn pro, and I think you did too as well, if I'm not incorrect. I, I absolutely did. Yeah, I, I think, you know, she was really she's really been the best talent that we've seen at this age 
since Mary Kane. And I think a lot of people were kind of drawing those comparisons, especially, you know, both from New York and, you know, both familiar with kind of that sense of being on the national stage and being so utterly dominant that really no one's touching you. Um, it, you know, at one point or another, it's like, well, what's the balance that you see there? Um, I, I really kind of thought that she was going to go pro. Um, I just thought there was probably a lot of incentive there. Um, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm sure she probably wants to pursue the collegi- uh, collegiate route and for college education. And I am certainly never going to bash that as well. I think it's just surprising is all to see someone who, you know, I think reminds me of Drew Hunter, of Mary Kane, of kind of these, you know, these once in a generation talents that are stepping up and, and kind of making themselves known. I agree. I think Club XC, I was like, uh, maybe she'll go pro. But um, there, excuse me, there had also been rumors that she was looking at NC State. So doesn't necessarily surprise me that she went to NC State, but um, interesting to see her take the collegiate route. I, I think I would not have all been surprised if she signs a contract with Adidas or Nike or whoever. Do you think Mary Kane's story was a little bit of a cautionary tale? Um, obviously, Mary Kane was in the news pretty recently for uh, – her relationship with Alberto Salazar, but do you think the way that her uh, career has kind of panned out to this point, do you think that might have been something that too was thinking about when she decided to go the collegiate route? You know what? And I, I can't speak for her. I can't speak for anyone. I'm, I'm only just, you know, analyzing this situation, but gosh, that's kind of what I thought, right? And, yeah. and the really the, the one to turn is that we have seen, certain high school runners take it to the, you know, the pro level. And really, you know, Lucas versus Bigas, he left Oregon, you know, after one or two years and unfortunately got in that pretty serious bike accident, um, which really kind of, you know, hasn't put him back full strength or at least at the level that we thought he could be yet. Mary Kane, of course, with the whole, uh, you know, NOP incident there with Alberto Salazar. I'm sure there's, you know, there's, there's examples out there where you look and say, Man, that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure on a young kid. Drew Hunter has uh, come out and said, "Yeah, that that there's always been that kind of pressure there for me as well." So, you know, it, it is. I think there are deterrents there. Now that we look at it, we've seen what happens when you know going pro at such an early age. There aren't a ton of successful instances, and that's not to say that you know it's a death sentence by any means because it's certainly not. Um, but I think I think I at least as someone who is familiar with Mary Kane and who would, you know, think about going pro myself out of high school, obviously now that I'm no longer there, um, or, or, you know, looking at someone who's at that age, you know, I, I would kind of think, well, let's take a look at what did happen. And yeah, I can't, I can't help but to think, well, this happened, this happened. And uh, maybe that wasn't a turn. Yeah. I mean, it's certainly, um, certainly something that would at least be in the back of your head when you're making that decision. Um, but how about Nico Young to NAU? Um, I hadn't really been following his recruitment um, very seriously until he made his decision to go to NAU um, after just dominating NXN, uh, running super fast and just blowing away a very good field. It's hard to, I mean, it's it's like, uh, when all the top players in baseball were going to the Yankees, they're just joining the top team, and it looks like they're just going to be dominant for the next few years. Is 
Young going to have a similar kind of impact to NAU? I think we both think that Tui is going to come into NC State and automatically be in that top five maybe and be in that top 10 to 15 discussion at cross country. But do you think Young is going to have a similar impact at NAU or do you think it'll be a little bit further back? Um, I, I just don't think they need him in that first year. You know, they've redshirted Corey Gorgas, uh, Gorgas. I, I don't know how to say his last name. It's G-O-R-G-A-S. I think I don't, I'm sorry. Uh, I don't know. I don't know how to say his last name. Uh, but Caleb Easton as well. They have Drew Bosley, who was a stud. They only lose Beamish. They bring back Adralva. They bring back um, Hasty. They bring back Nur. They bring back, gosh, who, who's, who's that? Quacks. Quacks. They bring back Theo Quacks. Thank you. Um, you know, they bring back Ryan Raft, who didn't uh, run. Ryan Raft, who didn't even run. Blaze Farrow, they bring back. Like these, those guys. I don't think Farrow or even Raft were even at the national meet, which is crazy to think about. By the way, you know, just that they were that deep. At, at this point, I just don't think they need them. Yes, BYU beat them, and you know, yada yada yada, upset, upset. What they should have, could have done. But let's be let's be very real with each other here. Northern Arizona was the better team last year. And I think a lot of people recognize that entering the national meet. Yes, obviously they did not have their best day ever, but um, I just don't know if I just don't know if Northern Arizona needs him next season. I, I think we probably would have said the same thing this past fall. But even generally speaking, they couldn't even figure out you know who they were going to have in their lineup because they had too many guys they thought they would be all Americans. So. You know, I, I just don't think they need him immediately. I'd say redshirt him. Why not? Get the most you can out of him. Get five years out of him, especially when he's he's developed. And, you know, there's not pressure for him to immediately come in and make a splash. So, um, you know, we've seen it happen with Brody Hasty. You know, looks like it was, it's paid off decently well so far. Um, and we'll see what happens. So, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of where I'm, I'm at right now. Yeah, I mean, they're that top seven is going to be impossible to make next year. I it's and it's crazy because it's it's hard to even say anybody is a lock in that roster. You would say Grijalva is probably a lock to be in there, but honestly, when you go through the rest of the roster, like, is there anybody who you could say is a lock to be in that top seven? Obviously, like Nur Hasty um, ran pretty well, and Bosley all ran well at NCAA's. And they're likely to be on that top seven again, but it's going to be so competitive that, I mean, for Nico Young to break in, he's going to have to run really well for them to not want to redshirt him. He's going to have to show that he's like solidly within the top five in a similar way that Bosley did um, for NAU this past uh, fall. I mean, it's just going to, I even just taking out the fact that he's going to be a freshman um, it's going to be so hard for him to make the, the top seven. It's going to be hard for anybody to make the top seven, which leads me to agree with you that he will likely be redshirted because it's just going to be an impossible team to make. Agreed. Yeah, I, I just I just don't see the incentive. So, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I, it'd be great if he did run. No, I'd, I'd be more than happy if he did. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll just kind of see. Um, you know, also interesting to note, Looking at UNC, Virginia, and Georgetown. Interesting schools to look at, but it also shows Vin Lanana and uh, Chris Miltenberg at Virginia and, and UNC, respectively. Mm-hmm. They're they're recruiting and they're recruiting hard. And uh, to fa- the fact that those two programs, along with Georgetown, were also in his his rotation of potential candidates where he was going to go to, pr- pretty pretty impressive stuff. You know, at least at the you know to have that guy who is such a, a high profile come to your program. Uh, or at least think about coming to your program, I should say. Um, 
pretty cool. That would have been pretty crazy if he had ended up at like UNC or Virginia. That would have been quite the feather in the cap of either of those coaches to get the number one recruit right away. Um, but um, we're going to move on. And we uh, before we hit the mailba- mailbag, excuse me, I wanted to just plug the rivalry article uh, that we put out uh, in late December. Uh, we're talking about NAU and BYU um, in their competition in, the, in last year's NCAA cross-country meet. Um, we have that and so much more in that article um, about how the NAU-BYU rivalry started. Um, how it uh, really heated up in 2017 and 2018 um, and where it stands now and what the future may hold. Um, Garrett, maybe a quick quote or something that stuck out to you in that article before we head to the mailbag. Dude, I love this article. We had some some great uh, some great quotes here. So shout out to Ben. He did a phenomenal job on the article. But um, yeah, I think, I think like the one that we all have to kind of talk about is like Rory Linkletter talking about how the, you know, the NAU runners teasing him, like, they don't like me. They kicked me when I was down and now it's personal. I was like, Oh, I'm ready to fight. I don't know who I'm ready to fight. <laughs> you know, I'm like, like I'm, I'm ready to go though. Um, yeah. Like it was, it was, you know, pretty exciting, you know, and, and you really kind of saw both sides kind of going at each other. And uh, you know, it was, it was a great article and you can just say, you can, you can tell that both teams, you know, super competitive, but that, you know, the one emphasis that I found when speaking to, to at least Tyler Day was that, you know, NAU has so much respect for BYU and BYU has a ton of respect for NAU as well. So just two, two great programs. And um, man, it was, it was a great read. It's actually one of our most read articles ever now on the website. So um, go, go check it out. Yeah. I mean, the, the adding on to that, one of the funniest parts about talking to runners on each team was how much they respected each other, but it was just like, one they could get under each other's skin so easily because for whatever reason it they just like a little thing that one team would do would just annoy the other whether it was just like a post on social media that would kind of get blown up as like bulletin board material or if it was roar like link letter flexing at the line it was just so interesting how um both teams while they respected each other so much it was almost like a sibling rivalry where like they knew how to get each under each other's skin and because of that they just this this great rivalry has developed and um it'll be interesting to see where it goes because a lot of the louder personalities have left but these two teams like we just said aren't going around aren't leaving and they're going to be around the national title picture for the next few years BYU is bringing back Casey Klinger from Mission, and um, obviously Nico Young headed to NAU. We just talked about how loaded their roster is, but it'll be a fascinating thing to watch the next few years. Um, But if you haven't checked out the article, it is really good, full of a lot of interesting stories from Baxter Day, Rory Linkletter, um, Clayson Shumway, uh, Jacob Heslington, just a lot of interesting stories. So check that out if you haven't. Um, and it'll be an interesting thing to look back on in the next few years as they continue to be rivals. Couldn't agree more, man. Yeah, you ready to go to the mailbag? Absolutely. So let's start out with something that kind of set the running world ablaze um, earlier this week. Uh, we had someone ask, thoughts on Galen being coached by Mike Smith? 
Whew. All right. So you want me, you want me to take on that one? Yeah. Let's, let's just dive right in. All right. Let's, let's dive right in. Um, you know what? I, I think this is at the very least in, I don't, I don't know about training. Look, they can do all the training they want. I don't really have any insight into what they're actually training for, but Galen Rupp, dude, you're the smartest human being. I could like, that is the smartest move ever. Perfect PR move. Cause who, <laughs> who doesn't love Mike Smith right now, right? His ability yep. to build a powerhouse program, his, you know, his connections in Flagstaff, he's very well connected with everyone there. He's well connected with every, you know, you know, everyone around the country, you know, he previously had a stint at Georgetown and he is beloved by, you know, young runners and, you know, other, other athletes in the running community what a perfect PR move. And oh, by the way, he's just a great coach. I, I just see a lot of PR upside for Galen Rupp here. Um, now, Mike Smith, on the other hand, based on the articles that I was reading, it sounds like he understands the the liability that this could have on his reputation. So I, I don't know what the conversation was there, but I'm led to believe that the benefit of coaching you know, Galen Rupp whether that's you know the idea that he could coach an Olympic medalist or the idea that maybe he's just getting a really good payday. And whatever it may be, um, it must have been pretty significant for him to take on you know the, the potential risk of reputation there. Um, so, so I'm, I'm willing to, I'm willing to be open-minded and think that the talks were beneficial in terms of, you know, Maybe the maybe the the association with Galen Rupp isn't I don't want to say isn't as bad as we, as we think it is because it, it is bad right the association with Rupp and Salazar is never something that I don't think any athlete currently wants to have but at the very least I think Mike Smith bringing on Rupp shows that he sees something there with him that he believes could be beneficial and and Mike Smith was already you know setting the world afire as it was so. Um, interesting move, but I think it's it sounds like it. Uh, neither of these individuals would have taken the job with each other if they didn't think it would have been beneficial to each of them. Yeah, I mean, Galen brings a lot of baggage, and interestingly enough, I think this is kind of a heat check by Coach Mike Smith. This is he's kind of succeeded everywhere he's gone. Everything that he's touched has turned to gold. Um, and I think this is a really interesting opportunity for him because he gets to kind of put it, start a foray into the professional ranks with one of the best American runners um, in history and see if he can kind of turn Galen around because we, because of injury or whatever it is, we haven't really seen Galen run at his peak potential for a little while. Um, so I think it's a really interesting thing for uh, Smith to do. Like you said, there, there's a lot of risk because the the whole Salazar thing, um, the the abuse with Mary Kane, the uh, the 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 doping charges, and all all that. It's it's a lot. Um, so if if Smith can turn Galen Ruff into a likable runner again, I think that would be his best achievement to date. And if he can get him to the Olympics, that'd be pretty great too. Yeah, it'll be it'll be a really interesting year um, to see what happens. But gosh, Mike Mike Smith, what can't he do, man? What can <laughs> he do? 
Um, so that's pretty cool. Yeah. Hey, if he can do this, he can run for president and then that'll, yeah. that'll do it. Yeah, deal. there you go. So, <laughs> um, um, all right. Well, next up, um, what will Joe Klecker accomplish this season? Additionally, someone also asked, will he win an indoor and outdoor national title this year? Um, I, I think he – I don't know if he'll win – in indoor and an outdoor national title, but at the very least, I think he will finally get that national title. I, I think in one way or another, he will. My guess is that he's going to get that 3K uh, national title this indoor season. I don't think Edwin Kurgat is as refined in the 3,000 meters as maybe we think he is in maybe the 5K, and I just don't know how he would handle that in terms of race tactics. Um, I think Amon Kemboy, another guy who phenomenal you know when it comes to you know kind of this time trial aspect of things in terms of just running fast but in terms of executing on the national stage which is actually going to be at altitude this year um obviously clecker training at altitude as well that's going to be pretty key and something to keep in mind connor mance is out now uh stress fracture uh he's no longer going to be uh, competing at least for this indoor season as well i just see a lot of opportunity for Klecker in the 3,000 meters this year. I think that's definitely his sweet spot. I feel like he's absolutely the favorite in the 3,000 meters this year if Oliver Hoare opts to go for the mile and the uh, DMR double. Also, if you're yeah. hearing alarms, I promise you they're not coming from me. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, my apartment like lives on like the busiest street of my town, um, which is great for like restaurants and bars, but not for when people are setting off their smoke alarms at 10 30 at night so i think if there's an alarm you have to fire off a hot take real quick oh um uh uh ben weissel will run 359 the mile this winter so Ooh, wow man see the problem the thing is is that that's not just a hot take it could really happen so you don't know (laughs) oh man yeah well i'll take it i I, i've never hoped that one of your takes has come true more than that one um (laughs) Yeah, so talking about Klecker, I, I do think um, the 3K has opened up very nicely for him. I, I struggle to see him beating Kurgot in the 5K, um, indoor or outdoor, and then the 10K. I, I think he's there's a lot of there's going to be a lot of competition for that. But the 3K, I think Cooper Tier is a name to look out for um, who could maybe edge him. Um, Oliver Hoare, I like you mentioned, um, if he does run the 3K, um, could be probably the favorite if he does in fact run but i think i think the 3k is opening up well for him so i think he could get that first ncaa title um at altitude like you mentioned which only increases his advantage yeah i'd agree i I think there's just i think there's gonna be way too many opportunities for him not to win a national title whether he wins multiple we'll see but i think come the outdoor season you know, there's really only going to be one true opportunity, and that's going to be the 5,000 meters. I don't really see him going up to the 10K during the spring. Who knows? Maybe he does, but uh, I think it's going to be a 3K, 5K this indoor season, and then the 5K like we typically do outdoors. So um, I, I think it's going to be kind of that thought process there. Agreed. So that transitions well into our next question. Thoughts on altitude and track size conversions? We mentioned that uh, nationals will be at altitude. How do you feel about the conversions that we have for altitude and uh, short track or flat track uh, conversions? So we, we do this every year. We have this conversation <laughs> every year. 
someone either likes it a lot, they don't like it. Look, and, and I'm actually going to talk about D2 on this spectrum because actually the 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 two questions we had were from uh, D2 athletes. But in, so so this actually prompted me to go look at the two uh, the uh, D2 leaderboards right now, and I found out why people are asking this question. The top time at 800 meters is uh, an altitude mark and flat track mark. The top two times currently in uh, D2 right now for the mile are uh, both altitude and flat track inverted. The third best time uh, in the 3K, altitude and flat track converted. The first, fourth, seventh, ninth, 11th, 12th, 13th best times in the 5K for D2 are altitude, flat track inverted. So I get it. I get why people are like, hey, is this legit? You know, what what is this like? Here's my question for you. Would you have been surprised if CSU Pueblo, if um, Western Colorado, if Adams State, if Colorado Mines, would you have been surprised if those guys were on top of the leaderboard anyways? No. No. No, they, they, they wouldn't, right? I mean, this isn't, this isn't surprising. It's not surprising to see these athletes up there as it is, Right. And we're seeing the same thing on the well, we're seeing actually something different on the women's side where you look at those distance events and the top runners who we know are the top runners, they don't have conversion marks, but we see that they're up there anyways, right? So I think it's fair. I think these marks turn out to be pretty equivalent. Um, I don't have too many issues with uh, the altitude mark. And in fact, I have less issues with the flat track mark. I think the flat track mark is uh, perfectly fair. So you know what? Like it's never going to be perfect. Athletes respond to altitude incredibly differently. Um, in fact, if you want to go back and search for an article, uh, we talk about this. It's called Mile High uh, that we wrote last winter. But yeah, I, I don't really have an issue with this. You know, these are the athletes that we've seen that will be up there. Um, and that's not going to stop American International from being competitive. That's not going to stop Southern Indiana, Northwestern Missouri, Great Valley State, etc. All these programs are being competitive. But you know, it's it doesn't surprise me to see Marcello Laguerra up there. It doesn't surprise me to see Taylor Stack. It doesn't surprise me to see Kyle Moran. You know, it doesn't surprise me to see any of those guys. So, um, but yeah, we'll see. Yeah, I can't I can't talk about the altitude, but the the flat track I firmly believe in running on a two hundred meter flat track, trying to run an eight hundred, is like trying to go up on a, a slip and slide. Like I mean, it's just so it's it's so much more difficult to run when it's not banked um so i i firmly believe in those conversions and the altitude like you said it it has a pretty good track record of being pretty accurate and the next question we got was not really a question just uh tennessee knoxville uh home of the vols a team in the south region they participate on the east region in outdoor track um I am pretty familiar with this team as I do live in Tennessee. Um, they they have turned out some very solid runners, and I think they will continue to do so. Great analysis. That's that's all I killer got. analysis, Ben. <laughs> yeah, I I've, I visited I visited there once for no twice three twice twice once for family, once for uh work and they're both great it's a great town it's awesome i love not i love it's knoxville. a beautiful campus knoxville yeah, beautiful awesome. campus yeah i do i will say it's good a, things about knoxville really really nice track smoky gray is, is is quite the look yeah 
Um, and the food is phenomenal. But yeah. If you guys ever want, there's a burger place. Oh, I forget what it was. It's like, it's a barrel. I, I don't know. I forget what it's. <laughs> so good though. Like top tier food there. It's really good food. And this is what you can expect from the Blue Oval Blue Podcast. Blue Oval Podcast at its best. <laughs> All right. Well, let's wrap it up with one more, um, which it only dilutes the conversation even more. <laughs> But uh, Conor McGregor or Cowboy Cerrone and why? Who has the better abs and why? I'm not a big UFC fan, so I'll let Garrett take this one. All right. I think we've seen Conor McGregor. He's already come up and faced these challenges, and he's knocked them down every single time, whether it be Diaz or Aldo or I'm blanking right now on some of the others. Didn't he lose to Diaz? Well, no, the rematch he won against Diaz. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, so – but you know, all I'm saying is that he's gone up before. He he can he can win this fight. I think he's gonna win. I think he's pretty locked in. I think the the Khabib fight really kind of set him back um, in terms of made him re- reevaluate. I think he's gonna win. Um, better abs. I think right now it's probably Cerrone because McGregor's had to put on the weight. You know, did anyone see that viral picture go around with him where he's like now jacked? <laughs> You know, Conor McGregor, which is fine. He's put on, like, a ton of weight. But that also means he sacrificed the abs. You know, Cerrone's got, got the abs right now. So uh, I'm going to go with him uh, on that one. Yeah, the little that I know, uh, I think it'll be a great fight. I, I'm very interested to see McGregor come back and, and see what he can do. He's certainly an interesting character who has done a lot for the sport uh, because of his antics. Um and if anybody wants to try to emulate him on the NCAA distance uh, side, I would love to see I'd be it. all um, about it. I, I don't think any of your coaches or your school would, but us at the Stride Report would definitely promote that. So I'd, I'd put my brand that. all over that. There you go. <laughs> so Absolutely. Well, I think that wraps it up, Garrett, um, for the mailbag. Um, another episode in the books. It, it was good to be back. It, it's, been, it's been a while. It's been too long. Um, I look forward to talking to you more, Garrett, uh, as the indoor season progresses. Um, you have any content that you would like to plug, Garrett? Yeah, so uh, we actually just had an interview today that was published with Karina Kalei. Uh, Colette Kalei, I'm so sorry. I know I was going to butcher that. Um, Hannah Thorne does a really nice job on that one. Uh, talked with her about you know, all of her busy life at Wartburg and, and whatnot. Hops and props, go check that out. Uh, we also have, uh, you know, post-break action recap uh, all of our action from this past weekend we recap and uh there is now like a train that is now going by my i keep forgetting that i live in the noisiest part of town um i don't know how i sleep it adds to the aesthetic it adds to the aesthetic there we go but um a whole lot of content uh already on the site a whole lot more on the way go check out our draft um i've actually reconfigured the articles page to now show uh you know a, a few more different categories rankings podcast news whatnot uh breaking news now that sage uh sage Hertzoff from colorado is gonna be out for the season with a tibial stress fracture there so there goes my there fantasy goes team. your fantasy team it's down the toilet more so than it already was but um uh, yeah, 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 yeah yeah so uh ben that's all i got on my end dude um if if you're good to go that's all, I got. all right yeah absolutely garrett i look forward to talking to you again um, keep supporting the site. We appreciate the rate, ratings and reviews for the podcast. Like Garrett said, check out Hops and Props. Uh, Sam and John do a really great job. But until next time, Garrett, I'll talk to you. I'll talk to you.